we begin our first foray into this idea of giving with this observation. We lack gratitude. That's just a human nature thing. I'm not accusing anyone here. I'm not pointing my finger saying, you, third row from the back, you lack gratitude. The rest of us are fine. I'm saying it is human nature to lack gratitude. We become so quickly selfish, self-absorbed, self-focused. We clutch and we grasp. Uh, You've heard the story or one similar to it. Two friends meet on the street one day and one just looks forlorn. Almost on the verge of tears. And the second friend asks the first, what has the world done to you, my friend, that you should be so sad? And the first friend says, well, let me tell you. Three weeks ago, I got an unexpected tax rebate from the IRS for $2,000. And the second friend says, that sounds like good news. The first friend says, but that's not all. Two weeks ago, I got a new job and I'm making 20% more than I used to be making. The second friend says, sounds to me like you've been really blessed. And the first friend says, no, you don't understand. Last week, I inherited $25,000. And by this time, the second friend is somewhat confused, saying, then why do you look so distraught and hopeless? And the first replied, because this week I've got nothing. So we sort of laugh at that in an awkward sort of Reader's Digest story kind of way. But there is an uncomfortable self-awareness. There's a resonance there that actually says, you know, that's not actually that far off base for how we lack gratitude. It's, it's a heart condition. Our hearts lack gratitude um, because we are a people of confirmation bias. If you're familiar with that concept, confirmation bias means you only pay attention to the evidence that supports what you already believe. And most of us already believe we're hard done by. Most of us are very acutely aware of the hardships in our lives. Most of us are very aware of the, the lack in our lives, the things we wish we had. We see our own plight and hardships very, very clearly. And so we also forget very quickly about the blessings of God. We so quickly forget the blessing and provision of God. It is a heart condition issue. It's a memory condition issue. Our hearts are messed up and selfish and self-absorbed and ungrateful. And God knows it. And because of this, God calls us to give. I guess what I'm proposing to you is this. As we begin our journey into this idea of giving, I propose this. That this idea of giving and tithing expresses and cultivates gratitude in the hearts of God's people. This act of giving, that tithing both expresses gratitude and the continued repeating act of tithing cultivates gratitude in the hearts of God's people. And you might be sitting here saying, okay, wait, hold on, you were talking about giving And now you throw this word tithe up there. That's a bait and switch, Tim. What are we talking about here? What's this tithing thing? And where did that come from? Uh, It comes from what we say every week at Community Church. During this next song, we invite you to come forward with your tithes and offerings as a continued act of worship. You've heard that like every week. 
do we know what it means. We actually need to spend some time at the front end of a series like this just unpacking this concept of tithe, which when it comes right down to it, uh, it, it simply means tenth. Most of the letters are even the same. Like it just, it just means tenth. What it means is that God is actually inviting us to give 10% of all that we make back to Him as an act of gratitude and worship. It's a recognition that everything we have comes from the Lord. Right? It's not like 10% of it belongs to God and the other 90% is all mine, baby. But rather, it's an expression that everything that we have comes from God. And in recognition of that, God invites us to give 10% back as an expression of gratitude and worship. Tithing cultivates and expresses gratitude. Interestingly, uh, not every church and not every Christian believes that tithing is biblical. This is actually, there's a variety of perspectives on whether tithing continues to be a command that Christians must obey. So, we'd better go to the Bible. Convenient, because that's kind of what we do here. But we need to look at what the Bible says about tithing. And if you're going to look at what the Bible says about tithing, about giving to the church or giving to Uh, the people of God, we usually end up, first stop on the journey is everyone's favorite book. It's Leviticus, right? That's what I thought. Awesome. And we find at the very end of Leviticus, right, filled with all kinds of laws, ceremonial, civil, moral, at the end of this book, in the very last chapter of Leviticus, and not just the last chapter, but if you go to the very last verses of the last chapter in Leviticus, the very last set of instruction God gives to His people in this book are about tithing. And we find in Leviticus chapter 27, verses 30-33, a tithe, tenth, of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. Whoever would redeem any of their tithe must add a fifth of the value to it. Every tithe of the herd and flock, every tenth animal, there's that word again, that passes under the shepherd's rod will be holy to the Lord. No one may pick out the good from the bad or make any substitutions. If anyone does make a substitution, both the animal and its substitute become holy and cannot be redeemed. What in the world is this Levitical law about? Well, at the base level, we've got a tithe of everything belongs to the Lord, whether it be from the land or whether it be our herds and flocks. Here we have the law that says we must interestingly it wasn't money back then right it was like grain and fruit and animals imagine that Can you imagine coming forward to give your tithes and offerings and you're like bringing a sheep and someone else is bringing a sheaf of wheat a smelly dusty glorious act of worship that's kind of what's happening here because it wasn't money back then in fact if you wanted it to be money um do i even have that highlighted if you wanted to redeem it which means if you didn't want to give that sheep You could actually give money instead. But if you wanted to use money, it would cost you an extra fifth. So you'd end up giving like 12% instead of 10%. And then there's even this like, well, you can't make any substitutions either. So if you're like, oh, the tenth animal that walked under the shepherd's rod is actually the best one. 
Let me give this crippled one instead. God won't notice. Here's a really bad idea. Scam God. (laughs) And so he says, if anyone does make a substitution, they both belong to me. The substitute and the original animal. You want to scam God, talk to Ananias and Sapphira and, and figure it out. Basically what we're seeing here is the origin of the tithes. It is Levitical law that commands God's people to give 10% to the Lord. And this isn't because God's short of cash. This isn't because God's doing a big fundraiser. It's because He wants to codify gratitude. He wants to put into the very essence of the law that, that defines who His people are. He wants built into that gratitude. Recognize that everything you have comes from Me, says the Lord. Remember in a continuing, ongoing way that everything that has been provided you comes from God's hand. God's after a heart condition. So the origin of the tithe or the, or the, the law about tithing, we go back to Leviticus 27. It is Levitical law. But some of you are thinking, what about Jesus? Because didn't Jesus, like, fulfill the Old Testament law? Didn't He come along and and do away with the sacrificial system and the priesthood? Isn't He the one perfect, complete sacrifice? Isn't He the one great high priest? Doesn't that mean that the tithe is no longer a binding law for Christians? If you're thinking along these lines, you're right on the money. That's exactly what Jesus did. He is the one perfect sacrifice. It's why we don't continue to offer sacrifices. He is the great high priest. But this is why there are many Christians and this is why there is a diversity of viewpoints on this issue of tithing that Bible-believing, Jesus-following people disagree on whether or not it is an ongoing command for the people of God. It's all Jesus' fault. And yet, if we're going to speak into this place where there is a range of biblical possibilities, we need to explore a little bit the larger context of the tithe before we get our get-out-of-tithe-free card and cash that in at the altar. We want to look at a couple moments of biblical history. And by the end of this, you may wish you had the law back. That's all I'm saying. If we're looking at the tithe, then we start by saying, okay, Moses and the Levitical law there in chapter 27 of Leviticus... That establishes that 10% is the law. That is the, people, the Old Testament people of God had to live by that law. Turns out, though, this is not the first place that tithing appears in Scripture. It didn't just magically appear when the law was written down. If we go back a little bit to Abraham, we find in chapter 14, while his name was still Abram, there's a really neat story there that you should look up sometime. But the story is basically this. His nephew Lot is living in Sodom. And uh, kings are always going to war in that time, in that era of the ancient Near East. And this big war breaks out. Sodom is overthrown. Gomorrah is overthrown. A couple other nations are overthrown. And Lot and his family are carried off, conquered. And word gets back to Abram. That's his nephew that just got carried off as a spoil of war. So Abram gathers all of his fighting men. And he goes and engages these other kings in battle 
conquers them, rescues Lot, rescues Lot's family, rescues his nephew, and brings them out into safety. And into that context, immediately after that victory, we see this text. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High, and he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. And then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. And it's a fascinating story, because this is before Israel was a nation. This is before the law was given. This is before Moses was even in a little basket floating in the Nile. This is a great rescue and victory. And what we see here is that Melchizedek, he's a really mysterious figure, he comes back in the book of Hebrews, um, as a priest of the Most High God, blesses Abram, but blesses Abram by redirecting the focus away from Abram's military prowess and onto God's gracious provision. Blessed be Abram by Most High God. Praise be to God Most High who delivered your enemies into the hand. What we have here is an act of gratitude and worship. God is the one who has provided the victory. God is the one who rescued Lot. God is the one who allowed this victory. And out of gratitude and worship, Abram gives a tenth of everything to the Lord. This is outside of a sacrificial system. This is outside of a temple priesthood. This is a principle that predates the Levitical law. And so if we go back to our little diagram, we see that while 10% was law by the time Moses shows up on the scene, we at least have 10% as precedent when Abe is on the scene. Okay, so but what about Jesus? You said Jesus, Tim. Let's get to Jesus. What does Jesus say? Well, even before we get to Jesus, we need to realize that what's happening here is that we are being pointed to giving not in terms of a numerical value and law, but we're seeing a precedent not just of 10%, we're seeing a precedent of a heart condition. That when you see God's hand at work providing for you, there's a heart condition of gratitude that can be expressed through giving. Okay. We got Abe who sets the precedent. We've got Moses where we see it codified into law. And then comes Jesus. What does Jesus have to say about the tithe? Uh, there are two texts I want to draw your attention to. The first is in Matthew 23, where Jesus is speaking to his disciples, he's speaking to the crowds, and he's pretty much speaking against the rulers of the law and the Pharisees. And he says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, there's the tithe, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, and mercy, and faithfulness. And he says, you should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. And what we have here is, is a generation of leadership that was using the tithe as their way to obey the law without actually having it connect to the heart condition. And what Jesus says here, no, you need to be living lives of justice and mercy and faithfulness. And you should be doing that without neglecting the other aspects like gratitude and worship 
that are expressed through the tithe. So what we see here is Jesus is actually affirming the practice of the tithe. But then here comes the problem. Um, See, Jesus has this nasty habit. Whenever he takes an Old Testament law, and when he affirms that Old Testament law, he raises the bar. You know what I mean by that? Uh, if you read the Sermon on the Mount, he's doing it all the time there. Uh, Matthew 5.21, You've heard it said, Jesus declares, you shall not murder. Okay, that's bad. We know that. But I tell you, Jesus says, that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. You're like, hey, hang on, hang on, hang on. No, I get that you should not murder because that's obviously bad. And Jesus is like, right. But what I'm actually interested in is, is your heart condition. And if you're even angry, he raises the bar and says, it's not just murder that gets you into trouble. If you're hanging on to bitterness and anger in a relationship, you stand in danger of judgment too. See, Jesus raises the bar. He does the same thing. He says, you've heard it said, Matthew 5, 27, you should not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who even looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. See, Jesus drives to the heart condition. He takes the letter of the law, raises the bar, and says, here's the new reality. This is what Jesus does. This should make us terrified. Because then it comes to the issue of tithing. And we see that Jesus not only affirms the tithe, but then let's look at a text like Mark chapter 12, where Jesus actually goes to the place in the temple where people are giving their gifts to the Lord. And he sits down there, the scripture says, and he watches the people give. Imagine Jesus watching you give. That just makes me uncomfortable. And it says, many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came in and put in two small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more into the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Which one is Jesus holding up as the example the one who put in everything. This, I think, is instructive because what we see again and again, this is Jesus raising the bar. He's saying, yes, I affirm the tithe, but you thought 10% was the law. What Jesus is really saying here, not just affirming the law, he's raising the bar and he says it's not just 10% as a precedent, not just 10% as law. He's saying 10% is just the beginning. He's saying giving is an overflow of gratitude and worship. It's not just about 10%. The widow is the one who is held up as the example and she put in everything. You know, there's the example of the rich young ruler that Jesus interacts with and money has a grip on that man's heart. Jesus sees it and says, oh, all you need to do is go sell everything, give it to the poor and follow me. And the guy's like, peace out. I can't do that. I'm not money is more important to me than you are Jesus this is terrifying I thought that maybe by tithing I could get away with meeting the letter of the law while still having a grasping hoarding attitude to my remaining 90% and Jesus is saying if you have a grasping hoarding relationship with your money he wants it all Okay, so 10% is just the beginning. 
Well, then how much do we give? That, that seems to be a relevant question all of a sudden. How much should we give? Well, let's turn to Paul. Paul's going to help us out here. 2 Corinthians 9. One of the earliest verses my children learned. God loves a cheeky gimme. That's how my kids said it when they were just little. The actual text says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. We're beyond rules. We're beyond law. We're in the realm of heart condition. Heart condition? Right. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. You don't give because Pastor Tim got up here and said, you should give and gave you you a good tongue lashing. That would be reluctantly and under compulsion. No. God loves a cheerful giver. Right? Giving is a heart condition. It is a chance to express and cultivate gratitude in the hearts of God's people. So Paul's original contribution, and now Paul is not talking specifically when he's, he doesn't talk about tithing per se, but he talks about collections being made for the church, churches helping other churches. There's a lot of give and take going on throughout the, the period of the book of Acts and throughout Paul's ministry. But the result is the principle here is heart condition governs, governs amount. Paul also gives us a second insight, 1 Corinthians 16. Again, it's, it's taking a collection for a church that is in need. And 1 Corinthians 16, 2, on the first day of the week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. So what we look at with Paul is that cheerfulness and proportionality. And, and by proportionality, I don't mean everyone gives the same percentage. I would actually argue proportionality means consider someone who's struggling to pay their electric bill each month. How much would 10% of their income cost them? How much would that hurt? How much of a sacrifice would that be? Now imagine you make 200K a year. How much would you have to give for that same cost? How much would you have to give to incur the same level of sacrifice? I wonder if that isn't the kind of proportionality that we're talking about here. But basically, if we're going to sum all this stuff up, because we're going to keep moving through here, we see in Genesis that 10% is set up as a precedent. We see by the time of Moses, God codifies that precedent into law. By the time Jesus comes, he affirms the tithe, but raises the bar and says 10% is just the beginning. Look at this widow. She gave everything. And then Paul says, so long as when you're giving... It's done with great joy and gratitude, cheerfully, and it's proportional to your income. What we have here is that giving, this tithing idea, reflects our heart condition. What I'm actually proposing to you is one step beyond a simple reflection of our heart condition, that it actually shapes our heart condition. The repeated discipline of giving sacrificially breaks the hold that money has on your heart. We live in a world where that hold needs to be broken. And we see a scriptural invitation to enjoy and celebrate a God who provides and to respond in gratitude. No law. Just gratitude. 
because tithing expresses and cultivates gratitude in the hearts of God's people. And because of this, God calls us to give. So, what do we take away from this? Here's the first thing. You should give. Oh, there I am using the should word. Yes, I'm using the should word. We see biblical precedent, evidence, and freedom. It's not actually giving that we have a problem with, though, right? This idea that it's not because we have to, because we get to. Based on everything the Lord has given us. It's an act of gratitude. But strangely enough, giving isn't always the problem. Right? Many of us are willing to give. Many of us have probably texted 90999 to donate $10 to the Red Cross for some sort of disaster relief. Giving isn't the problem. It's how much we're being asked to give that's the problem. And so I would say, based on the study of Scripture, that 10% is actually a biblical starting point. It's not law, but it's all over Scripture. I think 10% is a clear precedent and it is a great first step towards giving. I told you you'd want the law back. Because the law says, answer for me how much I should give. 10%, good, I can check the box and I can do whatever I want with the rest of it. 10% is a good starting point. This just opens the door to expressions of gratitude. And opens the door to a new way of even interacting with money. A constant reminder that none of it's ours. It's all God's. And what might He want us to do with it? I think 10% is not just a good biblical starting point. I also think 10% is good because it requires intentionality. Um, It's really hard to accidentally give a tenth of your income. It's too much. That's not just, oh, I have a 20 in my wallet. I'm going to put that in here. That's a good start. But more than just incidental impulse giving... God invites us to cultivate a heart condition of gratitude that says maybe that actually requires sitting down and making a budget. Maybe that means I need to look back at my bank statement and say, where is my money being spent? And if I'm not giving 10% to the Lord, why am I not? Oh, it's because I really like cable TV. And maybe there's a trade that can happen there. Last time I checked, if you actually want to watch the NBA Finals, You have to have a package that's worth like $160 a month to get ESPN, TNT, and actually it might be on ABC, never mind, it was the prelude, it was the Eastern Conference Finals that I wanted to watch. (laughs) And maybe instead of that $160 package, you say, you know what, Comcast is running a $29.99 special for internet. I can save $100 a month by giving up the Eastern Conference Finals. Maybe God could do something with that. And maybe as an expression of... You see what I'm saying? There are choices we make about how we spend our money. And maybe sitting down... It's it's June, right? Yes, generosity. It's June. Lots of companies operate on a fiscal year of July 1 to June 30th. Great opportunity to sit down and say, what is my income going to be for the coming year? How can I make decisions going forward and plan generosity as part of my lifestyle? out of gratitude for what God has done. Because ultimately, that's what it comes down to. Giving is embodied gratitude. Right? Tithing makes our gratitude tangible as we celebrate a God who provides. What I mean by that is this. Um, 
you've heard the expression, put your money where your mouth is. We can talk the talk all we want about how grateful we are. But if we're still hoarding our money, maybe these words we keep speaking are not actually true. It's what we do when we gather to worship, right? What do we do? We sing songs. Why do we do that? To embody our worship, to put into words and to actually corporately enact the exaltation of God together. We're celebrating communion here, the Lord's Supper. What is this? It is an embodiment of gratitude. We have a chance to celebrate and remember what Christ has done and to proclaim His death until He returns. It's putting ideas into flesh. It's embodying and making things real. It's why there's that awkward bottleneck when you say, bring forward your tithes and offerings, and you're all like, seriously, Tim's making me come to the front of the church and come out of my pew, and I was really comfortable back there, and what if someone comes in and takes my spot, and now I've got to come up, fine, I give it to you, and, then, and you're bumping into people? Or, and what does it look like to actually pause as you come out of your pews and to walk to the front, and there's the cross, the reminder of everything Christ has given you. And say, Lord, this is just a token. But this is my gratitude and this is my worship. And we invite you during the next song to come forward with your tithes and offerings as a continuing act of worship. It matters. We are trying to embody gratitude. Tithing expresses and cultivates gratitude in the hearts of God's people. So I ask you this as we land this plane. How is your heart reacting right now? How is your heart responding to this? Is your heart saying, no way, typical church, after my money. And honestly, if that's what your heart is saying, please don't give. I would invite you instead to explore that response a little bit and see where that comes from. To see what's at the root of a response like that. To be open to the possibility that maybe that's the sign of a disordered relationship to money something God might want to work on. If that's where you're at, spend your energy focusing there and don't give. But maybe it's not anger or resentment. Maybe it's fear. 10%. Are you kidding me right now? Do you know my budget? Do you know what I'm trying to I'm trying to put food on the table. I'm trying to keep a house, a roof over my head. And if it's terrifying you, then take some time to figure out what a sustainable act of generosity looks like. What a sustainable act of giving and tithing might look like for you. Maybe that's the time to make a budget. And maybe you don't start with 10%. Maybe you start with 5 Maybe you start with 2 Wherever you're at, go one step further and see if the Lord doesn't meet you there and provide for you. Or maybe, maybe you've caught a glimpse that these are not just rules that are abstracted randomness that God has put in place for us. But maybe you've caught a glimpse of a God who is so extravagantly generous with you that you're starting to get it. Saying that giving is a way that I can express 
some small token of how God has been gracious to me, I'm in. I can't wait to grow into the grace of giving. Whatever it is, the tithe is not law. It's opportunity to express gratitude in your heart. God knows this, and because of it, it is God who calls us to give. It's a heart condition. And we want our hearts to be ever-increasingly perfect reflections of the heart of our God who gave everything for us.